Hello and welcome to episode number six of the Two Footed Tackle podcast. I'm your co-host Julio Ortiz along with James. James Patoon. Thanks everybody. Welcome. Welcome to episode number six. Oh, that's a new one. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah, welcome all. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Um, just some quick housekeeping things uh, before we start off. Uh, we have a full docket ready for you. Uh, talk about uh, things all over Europe uh, and also some spicy little discussions that we have at the end of the episode as well. Um, just a real quick uh, sorry to all our fans out there um, who were <laughs> maybe or maybe not waiting for an episode last week. Who knows? But we still appreciate your listens even if you didn't wait for it. Um, it never came anyways. Uh, we just kind of forgot to record. <laughs> what a way to say uh, it. Yeah. Um, honesty is the best policy. Uh, so, yeah, we just kind of forgot last week, but we're going to get back on track. We had a couple weeks of um, uh, the Premier League and all leagues in Europe returning after the international break, uh, as well as some Champions League stuff to discuss. Um, so what do you say, Hamas? Should, should we just get going? Yeah, let me uh, kind of put a footnote on this before we get started. I'm feeling a little under the weather today, so if I sound a little <laughs> low energy, I apologize. But I am excited to get talking about some soccer again. Let's do this. Let's go. All right. Um, so we're going to start with our Around the Grounds uh, part of the episode. Um, we're going to talk about some games, uh, all of, I mean, some games from leagues all around Europe. Um, and we're going to start with the league that we all know and love, uh, the Premier League. Uh, like I said, we've had a couple weeks uh, since we recorded, um, but especially, I guess, this week um, is we see one common theme, and it's, uh, you know, the big boys just keep on slipping and slipping and slipping, not really doing much. Um, first game that kind of highlighted this is the Chelsea Man U game. Um, I'm already which asleep. Was yeah, it was awful. <laughs> it was very boring. Um, and it's it's just not a game that you expect from these two teams. Well, uh, normally, yeah, you would expect this to be a, a goal fest, but Chelsea and Manu both have had very, very slow starts to this 2020 campaign. And it's to be, in, it's to be expected of this crazy year that we've been having. But with all the money spent by Chelsea on their attacking side of the ball, Man U normally showing up for these games on, on occasion. But it just finished nil-nil. It's very boring. I mean, all the money spent between these two, you would at least expect one to go by. I mean, maybe this speaks to true testament of David De Gea. And was Mendy playing this game? Mendy was, and uh, he has uh, he's, he started four games for Chelsea, and he has three clean sheets, and he's only let in one goal. So, already uh, better than Keppa. Yeah, for real. Uh, so yeah, it's funny that you mentioned the all the money that they spent and it not working. I think it kind of does in this case because they did spend a good bit on uh, uh, Eduard, and uh, he he keeps on getting clean sheets and he keeps on kind of proving why they bought him and he started right away over Keppa. Yeah, I mean that's fair, but I mean they spent ten times more than they did for him on the attacking side of the ball to score goals. Very true. And yeah. they have did not do so on a very weak Manchester United defense, I might add. Yeah, um, and looking at the way Chelsea played, it's you expected them to kind of uh, like feast on this uh, on those on this Man U backline, and um, 
it's not like it, it's not like they've played bad. Uh, I mean, man, you just came off uh, putting a super solid defensive performance against PSG a couple days earlier. So yeah, that's fair. It, yeah, it wasn't like a super unexpected thing that Chelsea couldn't score. But the thing that got me is that I I think it, I think Lampard is trying to do this like very fluid attack almost like you would see like a Liverpool or a Man City when the when the front three just kind of change positions they kind of just get to have the freedom to move wherever they want uh that's kind of what happened with Pulisic and Werner of course with Havertz and it's just not really clicking um and their their midfield is is, is sputtering a little bit too yeah I, I would agree and I'm I'm also starting to wonder if maybe this is kind of showing the uh the lack of experience on Lampard's side, because, I mean, if he wants to try and do these sophisticated tactical adjustments and doing these, you know, crazy things that, like, Klopp does or Pep Guardiola, I mean, he's only been coaching this team. This is his second year in, like, three altogether. Yeah. His whole career. So it's like maybe he's trying to go a little bit too above what what he can shoot right now. I mean... Uh, their stuttering start is just kind of go to show that uh, maybe his experience is really starting to show right now or lack thereof. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, Cause last year you could make an argument that, you know, they went the whole year uh, without buying anyone. So, and they, and he did really well with that situation. Props to him for that. But now that he has the personnel that he probably wanted there, you know, he may, he probably, it was really excited for all these players to come and and uh, and play for Chelsea and and he probably already had in mind what he wanted to do with Werner and Havertz and and all the other signings and Chilwell and stuff. Um, but I I think it does I think it does speak to the inexperience a little bit. Again, they it's not you know it's not like they were facing a really beat down Man U side. The backline might have been a little odd, but uh, like I said, they just. They just came off having a really good defensive game against um, against PSG, uh, but yeah, it, I think it I think it does speak to his lack of experience a little bit, and it's and it's again that thing of how much time does Chelsea give him? Um, and I remember I, I fully remember saying they're gonna give him all the time in the world just because it's Frank Lampard and the, his experience at the club, but you know uh, things things change a little bit. Um, if halfway through the season he's still you know slogging through. Uh, sixth, seventh, uh, eighth place. Then I, I don't know how, I don't know how excited they are going to be to keep him around. Yeah, I mean, maybe you'd have to admit I'd be right if they let him go before the end of the season. But I have a feeling you maybe. won't. Not yet. No. <laughs> I mean, not right now. <laughs> not at this exact moment, but not soon. at this exact moment. But maybe uh, when we put out our episodes in April and he's looking to be on the chopping block, I might. <laughs> I might agree with you. I don't know. I, I, I still might be stubborn enough to not. Ooh, but. here's a uh, here's a hot question. Who do you think is going to go first, Lampard or Ola? Oh, Ola, all the way. That's like really temptation for me. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> there's there's no doubt. I'm still sticking to the rhetoric of of they're going to be a little lighter with Lampard and they're going to be a little bit like nicer to him. I think Ola is just like. He, like, he's just that man. This man, you team is so up and down. It's crazy. It's crazy yeah. how they show up for games like PSG consistently. 
you know, and it's and 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 on the other end, you know, they have they have days like this against a against a pretty good Chelsea side, um, but they also have their days where they're just they just look very lost. Like, and it is that is that Ola's coaching? Is that just the team in general? What's you know what's up with that? Um, but yeah, I would say uh, Ole Ola's probably going to be out first before Lampard if they keep going in the same trajectory that they are now. Yeah, I think I would agree with you, but. We could talk about this all day long because Man U is my team. But I think we should jump into the next point and talk about Everton getting absolutely derailed by Southampton of all teams. Yeah, and Everton, uh, they had a worry with James starting. Uh, he ended up being on the pitch and everything, and he's been their star man through and through. You got Dominic Cabret-Lewin, your number nine's number nine, and um, Southampton just kind of just kind of went to work. Uh, they kind of put their heads down and and they did what Southampton does sometimes. Again, a very not as inconsistent as like or inconsistent as West Ham, but still a, a kind of an inconsistent team. Southampton with the way that they try to play, uh, especially the big boys. But they kind of broke down Everton on this uh, on you know this past weekend. Yeah, I mean, just from what I could tell from the reports, uh, like the entire Southampton side did a pretty decent job. Uh, derailing Everton, I mean, it also hurt them pretty bad that uh, Digne got a red card in the middle of this game, so going down a man is never easy, but that means back-to-back games for Everton of losing a player due to disciplinary actions, which is a little troubling for Ancelotti in the uh, in the Blues, but, you know, I mean, with Southampton, <clears throat> with almost any team in the Premier League, you cannot give up an inch, or people are just going to take it right out from under your feet. You're right. I didn't even think about that because Richarlison got sent off. Mm-hmm. Which we uh, didn't even get a chance to talk about the Merseyside derby, but... The week before. We will in a little bit, I think, mm-hmm. in, this, uh, in this episode not around the pitch side. Um, but, yeah, I, I didn't even think about two two separate red cards, uh, back-to-back games. Um, still, I think an Ancelotti side would pro- would have probably been a little bit more solidly structured to kind of handle Southampton. Um, but the strike partnership between Che Adams and, and Danny Ings is just it's it's just getting better and better every week. Yeah, I mean, I always knew that Danny Ings was kind of a really decent player. He just needed a team that kind of had that belief in him instead of, you know, <laughs> collecting dust on the Liverpool bench uh, back when he was still with them. But, you know, Southampton will show up if you give them, give them the chance to. And Ancelotti just had to learn that lesson the hard way. But as of right now, Everton is still at the top of the table, but they're tied for points with Liverpool now. So, and yeah. Liverpool are back to their winning ways again. So, who knows how long it's going to be before Everton slips off the top and see how far they tumble down. Yeah, for sure. And the the one thing that worries me about Everton is is kind of their lack of lack of a bench. Um, I think they're going to get so used to. James being there and and playing the way he plays that if he gets injured or if he's having one of his off days they're really going to feel it and unfortunately I don't think they have someone that can come off the bench that can do nearly the same amount of of work as James they they do have Kilfie Sigerson but um I he's mean, getting pretty old though he's getting pretty old and he's not James Rodriguez so no. I don't think he's a he's a viable you know option or threat whenever James is having one of his bad days or uh, maybe out injured, um, 
yeah, that's the, that's the only thing that, that worries me about Everton. They have a super solid starting 11, uh, aside from Pickford, and no bench to kind of back that up. Um, I had to throw my, my, my Pickford hate in there somewhere. Yeah, I was, I, was, ep- I was about to say, I'm glad you slipped that in there under the radar. I, I got to mention it at least once every episode, I think. <laughs> it does good for my mind. <laughs> I mean... Um, Throwing in a little side note there, he I think he should have gotten a red card in the Merseyside Derby if you want to, you know, transition this uh, this conversation over to the Merseyside Derby since we're already talking about Everton. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And this, this goes back, uh, I think, a week, a week now. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Pickford just kind of had that really, really bad tackle on, on Virgil van Dijk. Um, I originally, I'm not gonna lie, I originally agreed with the call where it shouldn't have shouldn't have been a foul or uh, it didn't count as a foul and Pickford shouldn't have gotten a red, uh, just because of you know they called offsides first. Looking back at it, uh, he should have been sent off. Um, no question about it. There was no need for him to do that. Um, but it also kind of ties into the to the refereeing a little bit, because um, there have been a couple of. Uh, different plays where things that shouldn't have happened happened, and it was because they uh, of the refereeing rule this year, where they're told to uh, keep the flag down if they're offsides until the play concludes. Um, I don't know the exact wording of the rule, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that I mean, it, it kind of it kind of ties in with that too. Although that doesn't that doesn't excuse what Pickford did. No, I, I made that point um, as soon as like I saw the play happen and I saw the replay. I mean, if you take the same logic that they had with Pickford, it's like, well, they blew the whistle before the tackle even occurred, so therefore it shouldn't be counted. But toward the end of the game, Richarlison had to tackle very late, but it was after the whistle had blown, and they sent okay. him straight off. So, yeah. I mean, again, this goes back into the refereeing, which, I mean... Aside from the refereeing, like this game was uh, what you'd expect a derby should be. It's a lot of emotions. It's a goal fest. I mean, it's two leaders butting heads together, seeing who's going to come out on top. I mean, it was a fun game to watch, no doubt. But this refereeing was just so all over the place. I mean, it's to be expected with this kind of tempers flaring and you know, it's it really sucks for Liverpool. They've just lost Virgil Van Dyke just because that super late tackle from Pickford, and that game would have been a lot different as well if Pickford would have gotten the red card he rightly deserved, I think. But you know, you know what's happened has happened. They got to continue on, and they still ended up losing that game three uh, two to Liverpool. But you know, I I thought he was fully deserving of that red card, but. You know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that would have changed the whole game, honestly. I mean, you're talking about Everton playing with, I don't even know who their backup is, uh, but again, playing with 10 men and Liverpool having Virgil van Dijk in that back line for the rest of the game. You know, I, I, I mean, that could have easily, easily been a Liverpool win if that had gone down like it was supposed to. Um but yeah, uh, Virgil van Dijk is out um, for what looks to be mostly the rest of the season, um, if not all of it. And now Liverpool just kind of have this other thing that they have to worry about now. Um, and 
they got Fabinho playing in center back. Um, I mean, this just uh, this just reminds me of City last year. You know, we lost Laporte to to uh, I think an ACL injury, and we had to get Fernandinho to play back there. Um, Dark Fabinho's days for just, y'all. Yeah, I mean, Fabinho was just he, okay. Uh, uh, he didn't play that bad, but Fabinho. I think handles the role better just because of how younger, how much younger he is, and how much just more energy he has um, to kind of really chase down uh, attackers and you know track him down and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think Liverpool are going to struggle all that much this season. I mean, Virgil Van Dyke, he he was your rock, but they have enough quality that take that actually take their chances on the front of the field for them you know to kind of let a couple goals go in um it, you know if that's the case with Fabinho and Gomez and um Matip playing back there yeah and I wouldn't I would agree with your comparison of Fabinho to Fernandinho just because I think it's more or less like a, Fabinho and Fer, Fernandinho could definitely play center back if they wanted to but it's a negative for the team itself because there's such a key figure in the respective midfields for Liverpool and Man City that it's a loss and it's a negative to fill in that void with a piece that doesn't necessarily, that's not their exact correct fit. It's like jamming in a puzzle piece that doesn't fit in that spot, which I think it's going to be a loss for them if they have to keep Fabinho back there and keep him out of the midfield. But Liverpool is a lot more it further de- has further depth than a lot of other teams so i think they're going to be okay i think where they're going to struggle is their european competitions premier league i think they're going to they're going to do just fine they'll probably push for an- yeah. for another yeah. another title back to back years sure. but going into the cup matches and going into europe you you have to have you know all those guys rotating in and out constantly and no virgil van dyke as a leader in those european games i I think they're going to struggle. I mean, they'll make it out of their group stage pretty easily, I think. But going into the late elimination rounds, I think they're going to be in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, as the year wears on and all that good stuff, they definitely are. Um, yeah. Um, you got anything else to say about the Liverpool or Everton? Uh, no, I'm good. Cool. Uh, next game we have here, um, again... We see the the top six, quote-unquote, just uh, kind of bumming it around right now in the Premier League. Uh, Man City uh, draw to West Ham, which uh, props to West Ham. They came off uh, just an absolutely incredible tie. <laughs> it feels weird to say. <laughs> <laughs> an incredible tie against Tottenham. Um, and you saying they... it's Tottenham? Yeah, uh, it was last week. It was, oh, they, they came oh, yeah. back when Zini, Lanzini had that absolute banger. Oh, I forgot about minute. that goal. Oh, yeah. my God, that laser oh. beam? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Yoris, like, his wrist broke as he was trying to let it in. I was like, oh, man. Um, yeah, they had they had that draw uh, last week, and they had another draw this week. That's two points from two teams in the top six. Um, that's not that's not at all bad for David Moyes and, and, his, and, his, and his boys, but... Um, again, another thing where Man City had a bunch of chances and they didn't take them, and that's that's what you get when you know when you play West Ham. You know how compact they're going to be, and you know you need to take chances because you know you're not going to get like fifteen to twenty shots on them. I mean, you might, but half of those might be you know not in the box because of how how compact they are in the back. But uh, 
this just kind of goes to show more problems with City um, not taking their chances. Uh, we, we, I mean, and some injury concerns with them as well. Aguero's out for what could be a month um, at this point. Mm-hmm. Gabriel Jesus is still out for about another week. Uh, Fernandinho got hurt um, midweek through uh, against Porto. He's out for like three weeks. Um, but good news is we have Laporte and Kevin De Bruyne back. Um, but again, it's just I think I, I don't I don't know I don't know what I don't know what to call it. They they have uh, what's the, I think they have two wins, two draws, and a loss. I want to say I'm gonna check that real quick. But um, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it that's just that's just kind of the yep two wins, two draws, and a loss. And yeah. I don't know. Props to West Ham, though. Yeah, I mean, West Ham has been doing considerably well, better than a lot of people were staking them to be. I mean, they're clear out of the relegation zone. They've been getting the results that they need on the big teams they normally don't. I mean, the way that they fought to come back and tie against Tottenham was fantastic. And Lanzini doing Lanzini things. I mean, I mean the goal they scored on Man City, I, I forgot who scored it. I think it was uh, uh I think Antonio. it was your boy. Yep, Miguel Antonio. Mm-hmm. Miguel Antonio coming in to save the day again. And they took the lead early and, you know, left Pep to make the response, but you know, I think Pep's really starting to shoot himself in the foot for not picking up another striker again. You know, another window goes by and he doesn't pick up a third striker and like he has not learned his lesson. That's just crazy, it's crazy to me. Yeah, I think it, I think it was partly just the the need for the constant need of a fucking center back at City. Uh, that I mean, that's obviously everyone knows it's been a, an ongoing problem for as long as anyone can remember. You know, this isn't just a Pep <laughs> issue. This is goes back to Pellegrini. This goes back to Mancini. It's like this is the one constant that we we don't pick up. We I don't know what our scouting team is doing, but we don't pick up good defenders for the long run. They might perform well for like half a season or even a season. I remember when John Stones came in and he actually did pretty well this for a season. John he Stones. He absolutely tumbled on his fucking face for the rest of the time at City. He tumbled and, like a bag of stones. Am I right, Julio? Oh my god. Okay, <laughs> I'm just moving past that. Um, <laughs> no, please. <laughs> acknowledge my joke. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, 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 we've always needed defensive reinforcements and we always have to prioritize them over other parts of of our team, like the striker. We've had Jesus for like four or five years now. Like we haven't picked up a striker since Jesus. And now he tries to supplement it with, uh, some youth academy guys, but they, you know, they can't play consistently because it's their first time playing in the Premier League. Um, or in any 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 competition for that matter, but it's just a it's just a very disappointing it's just a very disappointing string of results for City. I mean, the start to the season is is I think has been Pep's lowest since he's been here. Um, yeah, I, th- I think I think you're right about that. And I think this year it's his last season on contract. He, ha- I mean, they're what almost bottom half of the table i think they're sitting in 11th or something right that like that yeah they have a bunch of competitions and a bunch of games like back to back to back every three days you know they have the international break which it you know people will get called up and go 
I think it's really, really gonna show what kind of coach he is when you when he starts out a season particularly this bad. He's had bad starts of the season before, but this has been like like I said, I think it's his worst. And I think if he really cares about this club and wants to stay like he always says he is, I think he really needs to show it now. Yeah, and I think this is the last year of his contract too, right? Mm-hmm. So this is there's a lot running on the line here for him and Man City, yeah. two different entities. But uh, I think we've uh, said all we wanted to say on this bullet, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. So last bullet point we're going to talk about the Premier League is Leeds v Villa. Uh, <laughs> Leeds just pushing in Villa, so. Yeah. So easily three nil with three a hat trick from Patrick Bamford. The man oh, just was... looks so good under Bielsa. It makes no sense. It was so good. It was good. It was a good hat trick. That last, I mean, those last his second and third goals were just. They were like, he was he was like I don't know like a prime like Zlatan out there like he the way he uh, shot the second one curled it, Takwana and then. The third one, how he had like four defenders around him, he literally just like turned around the ball and he just shot it, uh, you know, with his left foot. It was like it, it was it was crazy to see that from Bamford of all people. Um, and this this goes to show, I mean, you know, Villa they're they're not a they're not I wouldn't say a big boy, but they were high up on the table. They were on a a really good run. They had their their energy was up there. It was a really good game by them too. This is like a game that you would see with like a top six team against Villa. Like Villa fight and they play a good game, but in the end, no matter how well they play defensively or offensively, you know, the, the bigger team always gets those kind of bigger wins, those three nils, those four nils, no matter how well Villa play. And that's exactly what happened, except it was Leeds this time. And it was just, it was great to watch. It was, it was a good game and you really saw what Leeds are made of. Like they, they run around for 90 minutes and, you know, they were 3-0 up. I think there were 10 minutes to go, and they were still rushing to get 4 or 5, you know. They 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 just look like such a good team under Bielsa. I mean, it's kind of crazy just to see the kind of turnaround that Bielsa's had on this lead side. And you just kind of see just the whole, his whole view on coaching, the way that he's bringing these guys into play. I mean, I remember Patrick Bamford when he was, when he was at Chelsea. He couldn't land yeah. a spot there, and then he got end up getting sold to Middlesbrough in their last year in the Premier League. He was a ghost the whole time. Then Bielsa purchased him at Leeds, and he tore it up in the Championship, and now he's tearing it up in the Premier League. It's it's just crazy. Like you, it just goes to show what kind of coach that he is, because he can take someone like Patrick Bamford and turn him into a diamond, a diamond in the rough. I mean, this team yeah. in general is filled with Championship caliber players, and they're playing. Very, very well. I mean, we've made these same, you know, comments about guys like Chris Wilder for uh, Sheffield United or Sean Dyche with uh, with uh, Burnley. But, like, it's almost like Bielsa's even a, a notch above those guys because now they're playing so well their first year back in the Prem. I, it's crazy. I'm really interested to see how far this goes and if Bielsa stays, how... Sky's the limit for Leeds, maybe. Who who knows at this point? They look good. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I definitely see, like, a top seven finish with them this year, or maybe top six even, but 
uh, it, not to get ahead of myself, which I have done in the past a lot, <laughs> uh, as you probably heard already, but it's they okay, just look knows? so good, man. They, they, the other thing, uh, I mean, the only thing that worries me is 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 squad depth. Does he have the players on his bench to come off? and, and kind of keep playing the way he does because those guys just literally run their ass off for 90 minutes. And that's super tiring. It's a it's a really compact season this season. Does he have the guys that can come off the bench and kind of supplement that? I don't know. But it's looking really, really good right now. Yeah, I think the key to their success to kind of push to like a top half finish is definitely getting some reinforcements in January. Not sure how good Leeds is on money and if that's going to be something that's going to be possible. Maybe loan in a couple guys just to kind of fill in the gaps, but I mean, it's just their depth, their squad depth. You know, can they survive a whole Premier League season? I mean, they don't have any European competitions to worry about. They got a couple cups, but who knows if they're even going to prioritize those? You, you just don't know. But we're going to have to yeah. see, and we're going to have to see how Aston Villa comes back because we've talked a lot about, about Leeds, but Villa's looked really good. They just need to bounce back and come at it this uh this upcoming weekend and bounce back yeah i think i think villa has already surpassed expectations for for their their season <laughs> i mean yeah anyone anyone can kind of probably tell you that uh now it's now it's like okay like how can you keep it up first off and how how are you going to keep it up are they going to be very scrappy wins uh you know are we going to see you tumble down the table like i think most people are expecting um I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see how Villa bounce back. Uh, I mean, this is their first loss of the season, so it's not like they it's super detrimental to them. No. Um, but yeah, you know, you always want to you always want to follow those kind of losses up with a, a really good performance, and um, I think we'll probably see that from Villa. Uh, I was just looking up who they're going to play this weekend. They're playing Southampton, so that might be it's a possibility. But you gotta you gotta show up for Southampton. You really do. Yeah. Faux show. Mm, all right, moving on. Uh, we've had our say on the Premier League. Um, nothing really too crazy happened this past weekend in it. Uh, it was more so the weekend before. Um, but now we move on to uh, talking about El Clasico and La Liga. Um, we saw Real Madrid uh, just kind of shoo away Barcelona. Um, yeah, that's, I, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't watch the game, but I from what from the things that I did watch through like Twitter and YouTube, it just didn't look like Barca were very much up for it. Um, I mean, and we we got to remember that Real Madrid are, are, are struggling too. They've they've already had a loss in the season. They just came off a really kind of almost embarrassing loss against Shakhtar in the in the Champions League. Oh, it was definitely embarrassing. But they also did not have Sergio Ramos on the side, which he seems to be the cornerstone to the success of this Real Madrid team, which is weird that a team uh, would rely this yeah. heavily on a center back. I mean, yeah, he's he's the guy, he's the man. You got to keep feeding him, and he he's like the highest scoring center back for Real Madrid for Spain, for the Spanish national team. It's crazy that guy's output as a center back, and just uh, I mean, yeah, it, it kind of shows a lack of maybe a lack of leadership in Real Madrid too. You know, you, you don't have your main guy there, so so who's there to take the mantle? Oh yeah, um, without Sergio Ramos, there is nobody. Yeah, in that lineup yeah. that that even remotely comes to mind as a leader yeah, for this team. Like maybe Varane, maybe maybe Courtois, but like, you know, 
their midfield's kind of, I mean, their forwards are definitely young. Their midfield's young. It's just, uh, or, I mean, Modric, he doesn't seem like the type of guy that would step up. Um, but, yeah, I think they were definitely missing their piece there. I mean, I think uh, Hazard was probably meant to be the guy to come in and kind of be the leadership of this team, but he's been uh, a completely different player since he got there. I mean, he's nowhere near as good as he was in the Premier League, which I, for one, think he's overrated in general, which might be a hot take. <laughs> well, it depends on how you look at it, but especially since he got to Real Madrid, he's just been, I think he scored like maybe a handful of goals, if that. He's been very quiet. He's not as nearly as dynamic as he was at Chelsea. I mean, yeah, I, I we're talking a lot of a lot of crap about Real Madrid, but they still won. I mean, Barcelona yeah. looks worse. I mean, they still got their their main man Messi, but they have no Suarez. They're going all in on Antoine Griezmann, who looks nowhere near comfortable still. Yeah, playing in a wrong position. It's like what. And then, and then Ansu Fati, who is very talented. I'm not any nothing against the kid, but you have Ansu Fati and uh, Pedri, like, kind of being your guys. Like it's, it's like what's I I understand Coman wants to bring in a younger Barcelona side, but like that's that that's maybe not the part of the squad that needed to be younger. You know, I think especially the front line, Messi and Messi, Suarez, and I mean, hell, throw Griezmann in there. I don't care. <laughs> uh, they, they, I mean, they could have still done damage this this year, uh, but instead now you have uh, Messi, Griezmann, and sometimes Ansu Fati, sometimes Pedri. It's like I understand where Coman's going with this, but it's you know, I don't think he did it in the in the right parts of his team. Um, you know, maybe he should have been in the midfield. Uh, Looking, looking at the highlights of the game, Busquets was really bad. <laughs> I mean, he just showed his age. He didn't follow runs into the box, which is what led to the first goal. Um, and and Coman's, Coman's just kind of all over the place right now, and so is Barca. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of feel bad for Coman, honestly. I mean, he's kind of been out of the uh, coaching game for a little bit, and now he's expected to coach one of the most prestigious clubs on the planet. And not to mention, I, I think I just thought of this in my in my mind not too long ago. This Barcelona team is starting to look a little bit like Man U at the turn right before Fergie left. Because he left behind an aging squad for David Moyes, and David Moyes became the scapegoat to the what we now see as the deteriorated version of Man United of what it once was. And we've been struggling ever since. Now, if Barcelona is not careful here... And if they don't give Coman the time, and if they don't start replacing some of these older players and rotating them out of the club and replacing them with proper re replacements and not trading off guys like Arthur to Juventus for an aging... Uh, oh, God, what was his name? I'm blanking so oh, hard right now. Uh, no, uh, they, they traded Arthur to Juventus for... Oh, um, Pjanic. Yeah, Pjanic. I mean, those kind of moves really set you up for very short-term success. And the more and more you focus on short-term, it's just going to really start to hurt you so, so much. And, like, I fear that Barcelona, as soon as Messi leaves, what are they? Oh, my God. Nothing. They're nothing. Top six, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's like it's like you have a, 
a big ass crack going down your house and you fix it with like duct tape. It's it's not <laughs> it's not at all what's needed. <laughs> but you're like this will do. <laughs> for now. I mean, the probably the best way I can explain it, it's like that uh, scene from Spider-Man, like the original OG Spider-Mans where he's oh, trying to hold Maguire Spider-Man. Yeah, when he's like trying to hold up like the subway from falling off of the bridge and he's just holding it by his web and he's getting yeah. like split down the middle. That's messy. And as soon as he he leaves like Barcelona is a train and it's going to fall and smack the ground just to, yeah. you know, face reality. And I, I, I feel sorry for anyone who follows Barcelona and cherishes that club to death. But once Messi leaves, y'all are, y'all are in some trouble, real, real trouble. Yeah. I think, I, and I think this, this classical said a lot about both situations at the clubs and the fact that they're both kind of in the same space with their players and, and the status of their, or not the status of the club. Cause Barca is definitely lacking in that right now. Um, but yeah, they're they're kind of in the same situation with their coaches and with their players, you know, being aging, uh, and all that, all that kind of stuff. But all again, Real Madrid won this, and it wasn't even like anything that difficult for them to do. No, it probably won't be in the next one either. Yeah, I I, I imagine it won't be. But um, cheer up, Barca fans. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. After after all that railing, we just say chin, yeah. chin up, Barcelona. <laughs> all my family in El Salvador are like huge Barca fans, and it's it's because of Messi. So if Messi leaves, they're gonna be a fan of whatever club. It's gonna be a, a ghost of what it was. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Poor but, Barca. Uh, yeah. Uh, next up here, um, we got some Scottish Premiership uh, action to talk about. First time on on the Two Footed Tackle podcast. Thank you, James. Um, I do my best. Yeah. Oh, oh, you do. You do very well, sir. You wanna you wanna start off this one? Yeah, since I have a feeling I'm gonna know more about this than you. Not 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 not, yes. not shooting any shots. Just nope, saying. you shot it right in my fucking heart. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Uh, no, you're you're 100% right in it. I I kind of don't know a lot about the Scottish league, but uh, take it away. Well, nothing too too crazy aside from the fact that Rangers beat Celtic in the Old Firm derby in the first time in like three years, I think. I mean, the last time they won was when Brendan Rodgers was still there before he went to Leicester. So it was a pretty convincing two nil win. I mean, oh, I think you're thinking of. Uh... Wait, well, Brendan Rodgers versus Celtic. Yeah. Ra- mm-hmm. I thought Rangers hadn't won an Old Firm Derby in like three years. Yeah, that's what I meant. I'm sorry. Oh. Yeah, Rangers has not won an Old Firm Derby in like two or three years. And the last time Rangers had defeated Celtic in the Derby was when Brendan Rodgers was still there. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, my apologies. Yeah. So let's kind of show you how one side of this has been recently since the Rangers have been promoted back up into the Premiership of Scotland. They are now leading the Premiership by six points at the top of the table, which is normally prime Celtic range. But this might be the quote-unquote early beginnings of the dethroning of Celtic, which would be amazing for the Premiership in Scotland, I think. Because this league has been dominated so heavily by Celtic, and they need to get put down a little bit, I think. Just for the integrity of the league, and especially with Celtic getting knocked out of championship or championship champions league qualification getting knocked out by the team that got got whooped by Barcelona 5-0 a couple weeks ago with some team from Hungary I think 
Ooh, yeah. And now they're playing in the Europa League. And I don't know how they're doing, but Rangers have been doing pretty good in the Europa League. So Rangers yeah, are on the Rangers up and up. Solid. Yeah, I think I think it would do again wonders for for the club if they, I mean, if they didn't have the same winner every year. Um, I think that's <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, again not a, a mind shattering statement or anything like that. But yeah, it's like, you know, do you want to see competition? Great, <laughs> here it is. Um, but yeah, it's it's great for them. I know Rangers. Uh, what's his name? Steven Gerrard. With the coach. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's he's been there for, what, three years now? Yes, this is going to be his third year. Yeah, and, and props to him. He's sticking to it, and Rangers are sticking to him. And, uh, you know, it's not like they finished really badly under him because, um, I mean, there, I, there are relatively just, like, two teams in, in, the, in the Scottish League. It's Celtic and Rangers. Yeah, um, I mean, it was pretty much like Dortmund syndrome. They just finished in second behind the quote-unquote Bayern of, yeah. of the Premiership and Celtic. Yeah, and, and props to Gerard for for like I said, sticking with it. Uh, he's coached up a really good team over there. Um, it, it, it this probably was a little. It took probably a little longer than expected for him to get a win over Celtic first off, and for him to be challenging this heavily for the title. I would say, um, but you know, twenty twenty. And just to kind of put it in perspective, I think Steven Gerrard and his Rangers are the last undefeated team. And that side of the world, in terms of like England, Ireland, Northern Ireland, and Scotland, they're the last undefeated team on the islands. And not to mention, in 12 games, Rangers have only conceded three goals. Three. Ooh, that's a hot stat right there. And they've scored 28. So they're firing on all cylinders. So, I mean, up to Steven Gerrard and his Rangers, they're, they look pretty good. It's good to see. Yeah, for sure. I'll definitely need to keep up with that in the league a little bit more. Um, it's okay. If you don't, I'll be here. It's fine. But, all right, that sounds good. I still, I'll still check it out, though. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything else you got to, to say about the, the old firm derby? No, but old firm derbies are usually pretty good. If we could find a way to watch them here in the States, that would be fantastic. But until then, mm. I will watch the numbers go up on my phone. <laughs> all right womp womp um womp womp yeah uh so that was um our around the grounds uh segment of the of the podcast episode um like we said we're gonna try to keep up with all different leagues uh maybe pick and choose which leagues we talk about each uh week but um let us know if there's anything any league in particular that you want us to keep up with and we'll try our best um next up is from the pitch side uh, it's our segment where we talk about, uh, it's more of a discussion, um, you know, we don't really talk about results, but we talk about uh, maybe um, discussion topics surrounding results and stuff like that. Um, the first one we got here is Ajax beating uh, Venlo 13 nothing over the weekend. Yeah, so I thought this would be an interesting point for us to talk about, just because specifically I remember not not that long ago, you and I were getting... Uh, getting drinks at Highwire in Asheville and I remember the shout US uh, shout out to Highwire uh, the US women's national team had just beaten I think Thailand mm -hmm. in the World Cup some double digit number of goals to zero like maybe like 10 zip 11 I think it was I think it was 13 was it 13 mistaken yeah I, I literally I think it was 13 
Yeah, I, I mean, me and you had a pretty heated discussion on this because I said that it's not it's not necessarily up to the women's national team to take it easy on a country like Thailand because I, in my eyes, I find that to be disrespectful because if the women's team eases off, it's like, okay, we've scored eight. We're, we're obviously better than you. We're just going to pass the ball around and kill the clock from my perspective. And you took the other side where you yeah. thought, well, you, you can, you can explain yourself. I'm not going to try and speak for you. Yeah. I just, I just thought it was, um, I mean, the, the job's done. I understand from the part of, you know, you play the full 90 minutes, no matter how, how up or how down you are. I, I, I really do get that, but I just think that, you know, the, these, you know, they know how, uh, how bad they're beating this team and they know how good they are. Um, I just, I just didn't think it needed to go, uh, that much. Um, you know, it didn't need to go up that high. Um, but yeah, I, I do remember a very heated discussion, uh, that was aided, uh, by a lot of drinks. Yeah. It was like a good four or five <laughs> other, uh, loggers down. Um, yeah. I mean, why, why do I bring this up? Well, so the the club oh, it, Ajax. Real quick, it yeah. was thirteen nothing. Oh, it was uh, thirteen. Yep, it was the exact same. same wow, same this line. this discussion point is even all the more prevalent. Um, so Ajax was playing a fellow Eredivisie team, Triple V Venlo, and they beat them thirteen nil. And all the reports and all the big media outlets that cover the Eredivisie or Ajax in general hailed them, you know, as a masterful you know, display of how powerful Ajax is. You know, they completely dismantled Venlo, and they were not ostracized the same way that the women's national team was. Because the women's national team got a lot of flack for not, you know, taking their foot off the gas against Thailand, which I agree, which I will which I will mention is kind of uh, bullshit, excuse my language, because that was the Women's World Cup when it happened. So it's arguably the most prestigious competition of women's soccer or soccer in general and like that's you know a high level competition where you it's so disrespectful in the eyes of the world to take your foot off the gas but here we have two men's clubs going at it and then Ajax completely dismantles them it doesn't take their foot off the gas and they're praised for it I, I just thought it was super um I'm <laughs> forgetting the word good grief um it's just uh just just odd uh yeah it's odd and hypocritical yeah very very much so yeah and i mean yeah you you could bring up the argument that you know it that 13 nothing game by the u.s women's national team was played during the women's world cup this is ajax and then low uh and i think it's safe to say that most casual football fans don't know either of these teams they might know Ajax from like I don't know maybe seeing them in Champions League or something like that but we all know that the commotion and and the interest that the that the World Cup brings you know brings out some um a lot of uh quote-unquote football fans um that they're yeah, it, big it, old quotes there <laughs> yeah and they're, they're watching because it's a thing to watch you know their friends are i mean it's the, it's the biggest it's one of the biggest sporting events around the world uh the u.s women's national team is number one and they've showed that especially that world cup that they were um you know there was a lot of 
media coverage around the things that the players were saying about uh, Trump and our government and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, quote unquote good, not good. Um, and <laughs> and yeah, I just think you could make the argument that it was it was just you know knowledge and and video and media coverage. You know, obviously the the women's national team is going to get talked about a lot more because it happened on a bigger stage than Ajax and Venlo. But yeah, it is bullshit that they and that the media just kind of went after them immediately. And I I did see some some of the things where you know it said Ajax maybe should have like slow down but it was definitely not as prevalent as as the u.s women's national team in their game yeah and i mean this was just for them this was just another week in the eredivisie fixtures just to go out and win and i know one of their players traore i think his name was the guy who scored five goals assisted like four was praised for you know keeping his foot on the gas like i've been saying and, like, really, you know, pushing Venlo down to the ground. I mean, he was praised for, like, breaking all these records for single-game achievements. You know, it was just, you know, praising Ajax for its constant attacking style. And they, like I said, they get praised for it. And the women's national team gets ostracized. Just interesting points. I thought it would be interesting to talk about. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and I mean, I mean, we could also take in, in into uh, into sight that uh, you know it it is the women's team, and they're kind of be gonna be ostracized more than than Ajax because you know of their status in in women's football, um, as and just how well known they are. Yeah, and I mean, um, just their just media, the waves that the they make taking, in soccer in general, not yeah, even just, just the women's the media sport. Taking digs, mm-hmm. media taking digs at at things they. Uh, yeah, being very biased, being 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 very hypocritical, because uh, it was the exact same situation. It was thirteen nothing. Um, but yeah, interesting point. That was that was a very good one that that uh, you brought up. Shout um, out to the ladies. Keep your heads up. Never yeah. take your foot off the gas. Let's <laughs> go. Um, speaking of um, you know, women figures in football, uh, there was another incident that happened. I think about a week ago now. Um, it's not a couple weeks ago. I can't remember exactly when, but uh, it, it involved uh, my boy Aguero and uh, a female uh, sideline rep. Um, and we both are on the same page about this. We both found this situation just odd in general, uh, not necessary. But it was when uh, you know the 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 ref um, called for a throw in to the other team. Aguero uh, was kind of talking to her, um, uh, to the sideline ref, and then he put her arm, or he put his arm around her. And you you will never see anyone ever do that to, uh, like, a, a, a man. You, you'll never see anyone do that to a, a male uh, ref because they know just that what, what, what kind of territory they're in. I mean, that's an automatic yellow, I think. If you put your hands on a ref, even if it's not like threatening, you know, it doesn't. I think it might be a red, actually. You, you think so? I, I think, think so. Like... Yeah, especially if it's like uh, the the on field ref. I know if he gets touched, like he that's automatic disciplinary action. Depending on the a, circumstance. I think it's, yeah, I think it's a red if it was like malicious. Uh, I think it's a yellow, like flat out, like you, you know, a hand on the shoulder, anything like that. Um, but I might be wrong. Um, but yeah, I I just. I mean, how else can you say it better? Guerrero was in the wrong for this one. I mean, I, I'm not going to argue, the, the, you know, for him. 
Um, he shouldn't have done that. Uh, Pep defended him because uh, he was asked about it in some of his uh, some of his press conferences, and Aguero just didn't apologize at all, and I thought that was the wrong move. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it from Aguero's perspective. He meant nothing by it, but it's just like you know for a fact if this was a if this was a, a male referee, he would not have done that. And just watching it happen live was just so awkward. It's like it was. It felt so like scummy, and I was just like, I I looked, I saw, I saw it happen live, and I was like, what are you, what are you doing, man? Like, you yeah, would, you would, yeah. I was, I that's, it was just like, why, you know? Again, nothing malicious behind it. It was just a, it was a hand on the shoulder, but it's, yeah, it was like, first off, why? Second off, you know you can't do that, and third off, he got let off, like no red or no card. He didn't apologize and. You know, it's it's hopefully something that doesn't happen that often. That's the first time I saw it, but I mean, I, I feel like it's just gonna. He may get a fine, and then it's just gonna get swept under the rug. I feel like. I mean, I think if they would have fined him, they would have already done that. You know, it it has been more than a week since this happened already. So yeah, that's true. Um, I don't know if he's gonna get any any disciplinary action for it, like a fine or anything like that. But I mean, at the very least, the guy should apologize. I would say. Yeah, just a shout out to all professional players out there. Don't uh, awkwardly touch the female referees on yeah, the field. Uh, first off, <laughs> any ref. Second off, why, no. Why, why are you gonna do that for? Yeah, that, just don't um, do that. Yeah. Um, uh, and then um, last uh, last segment here for uh, or last topic for uh, for our segment from the pitch side is um, talking a little bit about MLS, but not any matches in particular. You want to head this off, Hamas? Yeah, let me just kind of lay the groundwork for it because I've kind of been an on-and-off fan of Major League Soccer, and I'm a big fan of kind of supporting your domestic league. And I know Julio's not the biggest fan of MLS. And I think for the for the both of us especially, having a team in Charlotte here the next like year or two will definitely help those, oh, help yeah. these things. I agree. But... The Major League Soccer is such a different league than what you can get anywhere else in the world in terms of soccer, in terms of like facing promotion relegation. But it's MLS is run so very awkwardly, and it's run on the same model that it was in the early stages of when MLS was on on the cusp of maybe not existing anymore. So they give all the power and control to the ownership, which is very, very much like the... Uh, the ownership style of like the NBA, the NFL, Major League very Baseball. Yeah, it's a very Americanized model, and it's safer because you can tank at the end of the year. And the MLS Super Draft is supposed to be the reward of you getting the best college players in the United States, but it's not a really, um, it's not a really beneficial system when the clubs themselves can just have these academy kids come up four years younger. And fill in these spots, and they can be playing year round instead of having college players, you know, go off and play for four years and then come into the league at twenty two. I mean, some of them only play for like a year or two or three, and then go into the league. with still, it's like it doesn't make sense for them to do that. But at the same time, it's like because it's a closed league, any team that tanks, you don't really have any repercussions. Mm-hmm. So you can just go at it next year. And you know, without any consequences or anything whatsoever, it's a, 
it's like the most Americanized version of football that you can think of. Like it has, it doesn't have promotion relegation, the ownership of it, the the whole like the the whole model, the how it's tiered in the U.S. you know system um, and the leagues, uh, and then with the draft as well. It's like it, it's it's they try to disguise it so. Or they don't even try to disguise it. It's just such an Americanized version of what you think of when you think about football, you know, uh, the Premier League or any other league in Europe or any other league anywhere. Yeah, and I, it's just, like I said, it's kind of the annoying thing. I know for a lot of fans here in the United States that follow the NFL, Major League Baseball, and the NBA, I mean, for, for the both of us as being Hornets fans, there's no real reason for the Hornets to really try and push to be good because they're not going to get relegated to the G League or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. So they can just suck, and that's that's fine. They can just continue to play LeBron James and all the best players in the NBA and get curb stomped, get a couple college guys, give them the experience, and then sell them off and be a, a stepping stone for NBA players, essentially. And MLS is in big danger of that. But with some of the purchases that a lot of the teams have been making and it becoming a quote-unquote retirement league, it's just become this weird anomaly. I mean, the, the league, I will give it credit, has been able to produce some pretty decent American talent that have gone For to sure. Europe. But again, it goes to show that once they get good, they leave. Because yeah. MLS is not a place to stay. I mean, even guys like Bob Bradley... Josie Altador, all the ones that have been, you know, really big American names, Clint Dempsey, have all gone off elsewhere for their for their good years and then come back to retire, essentially. I mean, Josie Altador and Michael Bradley, not Clint Dempsey, because Clint Dempsey came pretty late. I mean, those two kind of gave the last good couple of years of their career to Toronto. You know, guys like Alejandro Bedoya came back from Nantes to go play in Philly and... You know, Jermaine Jones came back. But again, like, they all had, you know, long careers in Europe. was able to fulfill their European dreams and come back. And it's just like MLS is just they come. You play a bunch of guys that get paid dirt pretty much. If you're not the Zlatan, if you're not Wayne Rooney, if you're not Steven Gerrard, you're going to get paid like dirt, which a lot of people don't really realize, which is why it's kind of hard to – see some of these guys come in as, like, uh, impact players, bench players. It's like some of these guys that do actually pan out from college. But it also kind of goes into an even further discussion of it. It puts a chokehold on the rest of the leagues that exist within the United States. Because MLS is at the top, and there's no way to get in unless you go over a giant paywall of hundreds of millions of dollars. So, like, the USL, USL League 1, USL League 2, uh Nassau's completely dead at this point. Uh, the NPSL is a college summer league. I mean, all these leagues get affected by what MLS does. And they have a permanent chokehold on what professional soccer looks like in the United States of America. And I think that's not really going to change unless they introduce a promotion relegation system. But until that point, you're stuck with the 30 or so teams or 28 teams that is MLS. Such a big league, man. It's yeah, and it's split into two conferences, and then you have your playoffs. It's like a very Americanized version of soccer, and it doesn't bode well for people who follow European teams because it's such a more pleasant model to watch. 
and it's a better product. So it's kind of hard to argue why will we care so much about MLS when we can just watch such a better quality game on the weekends and the mornings. I mean, for us personally as well, the closest team to us would be Atlanta United, and that's really far away. So we can't just go to an Atlanta game. It wouldn't make much sense. With a team in Charlotte, you know, we get a little bit of that local community. It's like, this is our team. You know, I'm going to try my best to be a real, real supporter of Charlotte Football Club. But, you know, it's just it's just the, the differences are just so clear. It's just so annoying. Because I, I want to support everything in the name of American soccer. But it's just, they make it so hard. <laughs> um, I, I did, I was, I was really kind of proud of the MLS because I think for a couple years they steered away from buying older players from Europe. Uh, you know, they started going for players in Argentina and uh, Central America. You know, they, they know that they can find talent for cheap and that it'll last longer than, you know, buying Matuidi for Inter-Miami. Um, but unfortunately, I think they've always, even though, even though maybe they didn't buy as many old players during that time period where the, the, uh, a lot of clubs were scouting out Central and South America, they still every every now and then they would some team would pick up some old guy and just like play him for a season, and then just you know pay him his money and say bye, um, and I think it's gone back to that primarily uh, you know this season. Um, like I like I mentioned, Matuidi at Inter Miami. Uh, what are some other kind of transfers like that? I mean, there's there's been so many. I mean, just the fact that Frank Lampard was playing NYCFC for literally like a year. Steven Gerrard was Steven playing Gerard, at LA yeah. Galaxy. I mean, Chicharito, his move to LA Galaxy is turning into a dumpster fire. I mean, he's already linked to go back to his boyhood club of Guadalajara. Um maybe even before the season is over. And, I mean, Miami picked up... Um, who did they just pick oh, up? Higuain. Higuain. Yeah, they picked up Gonzalo, uh, Gonzalo Higuain, along yeah. with his brother, to play there as well. I mean, it's just like all these old dudes. And yeah, it's just and like and we're reverting completely back to the way things were, and it's just so annoying. So, yeah, we, we just kind of wanted to get our word in there about, you know, our, our gripes with the MLS. And, and you probably might have heard it from other people that watch the MLS. It's nothing new. You know, the the aging players, the relegation promotion suggestion, all that stuff has been said for years and years and years. And it's not like it's all going to magically change. But, yeah, how much you got anything else to say about that? Um, No. I mean, as soon as, like, you know, Charlotte MLS starts to become a – more prevalent we actually get to go to some games we'll definitely provide more insight more reports you know we'll give our two cents about the team what coach is going to look like i mean i'm still excited regardless for charlotte to get here because it'll be nice to have our own team to for lack of a better term call our own so until that point i mean we're going to try and sprinkle in some mls in there but we just wanted to let you know as to why it's taken us a while to slowly introduce it into our around the grounds for our reports and our discussions. It's just, it's hard to want to talk about it sometimes. Yeah, it's hard to say nice things about the game, <laughs> uh, and that's just that's just us kind of being real with y'all. Um, but yeah, with that, um, that kind of completes our uh, from the pitch side segment of the of the episode. Uh, again, thank you for listening. 
uh, just going to plug our social media. Um, our Twitter is at 2Tackle. Um, our Facebook is 2Footed Tackle. Uh, follow us on there. Uh, we'd really appreciate some follows. You can message us if you want. Uh, you know, tell us which kind of leagues or which games to be on the lookout for these upcoming weeks, whether it be Champions League, Premier League, uh, out in uh, Scotland, uh, Portugal, wherever. We're, we're going to try to keep up with uh, however much we can. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's kind of it for me. Hamas? That's it for me. Love y'all. Sorry for the delay. Uh, hope you enjoy this episode, and uh, we'll see you boys around. Yeah, see ya.